Second Kings 2, 23-25 He went up from there to Bethel, and while he was going up on the way, some small boys came out of the city and jeered at him, saying, Go away, bald head! Go away, bald head! Then he turned around and saw them. He cursed them in the name of the Lord. Then two she-bears came out of the woods and mauled forty-two of the boys. From there he went on to Mount Carmel and then returned to Samaria. It can be said, without the slightest hint of overstatement, that perhaps the most powerful, damaging weapon in the human arsenal is the little white lie. That self-justified lie. The mistruth that we tell, knowing that it's not exactly correct, but convinced that it's so small, so inconsequential, that it doesn't really matter at all. Those things that we tell other people, that we tell ourselves to justify ourselves, the things that we say to make it so that others see us in a more flattering light, fully aware of the rationale and full, complete reasons behind the things that we do, even when those things, well, aren't exactly all that great to begin with. This is something we're all guilty of, uh, me probably more than most, if I'm being honest. This pressing need to self-justify, to explain ourselves, to have it be heard that we are reasonable people doing reasonable things, despite all evidence to the contrary. This is a human force to be reckoned with. Probably the strongest single element of the human psyche. When we want to make ourselves, our loved ones, our celebrities, or even our heroes seem appropriately sympathetic, we have this ability in ourselves to twist reality just so to take the fundamental truths of a situation and alter them just slightly, just a little bit, so that we come out on top. Now, by now, you're probably wondering, uh, what does any of this have to do with bears? <laughs> In fact, I'm betting that if you have ever heard today's scripture passage, it was probably shown to you as something comedic, as an example of some of the weirder stuff that you find buried in the back corners of your Bible. I, I know I have often used it in this exact same way as a humorous example of that one time that God, for some reason, gave a prophet the ability to summon bears at people who annoyed him. <laughs> I mean, come on. It's funny because it's so over the top, right? 
So what happened is this. Shortly after witnessing his mentor Elijah ascend to heaven full-bodied in a fiery chariot, Elisha, having now taken on himself the mantle of prophet, has been spending a little bit of time in the city of Bethel. And on his way out of the city, he finds himself, as one does, being followed by a massive crowd of young boys who, in that unique way that young boys often have, have managed to identify his greatest personal insecurity and mock him relentlessly for it. Then you can kind of get the mental image of what happens next, right? You get this image of Elisha just fuming at these kids who've been insulting him before turning towards them, wreathed in energy like Halle Berry's storm from that first X-Men movie, eyes glowing white with mystical power as he utters a curse in the name of Almighty God. And then, suddenly bears. <laughs> if you read this passage cold, without any real knowledge of the language or the culture or anything else, it seems like Elisha's response to these kids' attacks on his follicular fortitude isn't just an insane overreaction, but also a kind of terrifying indication of what God empowers those who speak God's word to be able to do. I mean, did, did you realize that bear summoning was a thing that we let prophets do? Wait, do, does this mean that I can summon a bear army? Uh, okay, well, well, having had any number of times in my own life where I have had my insecurities pointed out to me in blunt, even hurtful ways, I'm pretty sure that if I had the ability to spontaneously summon bear armies, I probably would have done it by accident at least once already. So, okay, that's probably not it. <laughs> Still, though, it, it's a pretty nuts thing for a man of God to do, right? To call upon the power of Almighty God, spawn a couple of she-bears just to absolutely murder almost four dozen prepubescent terrors? I mean, if, if God is love and all that, how in the hell does this track? But that's where that little white lie comes in. That misdirect, that little twist that's meant to give cover for our biblical hero so that we can go on thinking of him the way we all truly think of ourselves, as blameless. You see, it all rests on that one line. He cursed them in the name of the Lord. Now, we hear that word curse, and our mind immediately fills with images of the mystical, Catherine Han shrouded in purple smoke, strung up on invisible guide wires and all that Marvel stuff. But with that one word, we begin to see the shape of the narrative. Elisha called down a magical curse, drew upon the ineffable, inexplicable power of God and caused the bears to attack. Showcasing, of course, in the process, just why you never attack a man of God. But as uh, any middle schooler who's just discovered Urban Dictionary will tell you, a curse isn't just some kind of magic spell. In fact, 
The Hebrew word that's used here, kalal, it doesn't have anything to do with magic invocations of power, divine or otherwise, or really anything mystical at all. As it happens, the word here is a fairly light one. Trifling is what the dictionary says. To make light of, it says, giving context to the much, much further down definition of curse or despise. When you think about it, what Elisha did here is he wasn't, he wasn't employing some sort of divine prophetic god magic to summon bears wholly out of the ether just so he could murder a bunch of children. No. I mean, Elijah heard the kids making fun of him, and he told him to F off. That's really all this means. There's no mysticism here, no magic, no great summoning of any kind. And if we're being honest, that makes a lot more sense. I mean, when you think about it, that's a much, much more proportional response to getting mocked by a crowd of children. Of course, then that means that the bear attack uh, probably had more to do with a mob of more than 40 children just wandering out of the city so they could loudly mock a bald guy. You know, like a finger food buffet loudly announcing its presence to a restaurant full of hungry she-bears. It, it had nothing to do with any sort of mystical god-based superpowers. You know, there's a, there's a phrase in Latin, uh, often used in the legal profession, that speaks to this very common, very normal human mistake that we make in situations like this. Post hoc, ergo propter hoc. Literally, it means... Before it, therefore because of it. Of course, as we find ourselves saying all too often on the internet these days, we could just as easily say, correlation does not equal causation. It's so easy, though, for us to take a couple of things that seem related and hang our hat on them being intimately connected, even if we know they're not. Because it just makes the narrative work better for us. It gives us or our heroes the sort of justification that we absolutely need them to have. It just, it makes for a better story. And when we get people focusing on this story we want to tell, it becomes so much easier to keep them from noticing all the terrible things we've done. Because when we take away the false correlations, when we take away the explanations, the justifications, and the carefully constructed facades, what we're left with is our true selves. People who are riddled with insecurities, self-hatred, and self-doubt. People who are all too often ruled by our own bitterness, trapped by our own hatred and pain, so blinded by the things we want to be true about ourselves, that we can't see who and what we really are here and now. Take a look at today's passage one more time and try asking yourself a different question. Don't think about how the kids mocked Elisha. And don't allow yourself to see the bears as some sort of direct effect of Elisha's cursing. Now let those things go. Instead, Ask yourself this question. What was it that Elisha actually did when he noticed she-bears attacking 42 young children? 
Did he come to the rescue? Did he call for help? Did he fight off the bears with his own two hands like the Old Testament version of those unnecessarily jacked Jesus images that you find tackily spray-painted onto vans on the side of your average uh, southern extremist's uh, van? Or did he just leave? Leave those annoying kids to bleed out into the dirt? I think that's the reason, really. The reason why I feel that this passage is in the Bible in the first place. It's not here to warn us of the consequences of pissing off our religious leaders. It's here to show us how even our most exalted religious leaders are susceptible to bitterness and anger and insecurity and pain. How any of us can easily allow our feelings to blind us to our deep abiding and above all holy calling to love and to help those who need. Once we've done this, of course, it becomes very easy to turn our our failures into victories with, with just a quick little series of misinterpretations here. A few of these correlations sold as immutable causative relationships, we do that And suddenly we feel right again. And never mind how many prepubescent punks are left bleeding on the ground behind us along the way. As long as we come out looking good, that's what really feels right to us, right? That's what matters. And the worst part about it is, is it didn't really take much, did it? I mean, in today's passage, all we had to do was twist that one word. And suddenly this changes from a dark and disturbing tale of a prophet chillingly yielding to his bitterness and insecurity to leave some kids to suffer. And it becomes a story about why you really shouldn't piss off God's chosen few, or they'll magically summon bears at you. But we're called to do better than that. We're called to be better than that. We're called to confront our insecurities, to be aware of who and what we are here and now, and to grow beyond that. Now, for all of us, this is a bit of a long fight. It's a journey we're not likely to see the end of anytime soon. But I think that this is where I want to leave you thinking about things this week, if I can. I want to ask you this. Where in your life have you found yourself connecting dots that didn't need to be connected? Where in your life have you found yourself twisting that one word, changing the narrative just a little bit so that you could be the good guy, even if it meant you had to leave some folk hurting along the way? Where in your life have you let yourself be blinded by your insecurities? Where have you sought to justify yourself rather than reconcile to others? I don't know about you, but I can think of a few times I've done that while I was writing this sermon. But you know what? There's still hope for all of us. No matter how far we go, no matter how many times we do this, there's still hope. Today, we saw Elisha screw up. He refused to help some hurting and suffering children because they just finished making fun of him. But that doesn't change 
Elisha's worthiness to serve God. God still uses Elisha as a prophet, the role to which God had called Elisha in the first place. He's, uh, he's back at the palace laying out prophecies starting from the very next chapter. And that's, I think, an important thing to consider. You see, your insecurities, even when you let them run amok, they don't necessarily make you unworthy. Your failures, your failures to help, your failures to prevent hurt from happening, your failures to do all that you can, they don't make you unworthy. Your hurt and your pain and your suffering, it does not make you unworthy. The terrible actions that you may have committed, even those, they don't make you unworthy to serve the Lord. Absolutely everyone is worthy. Everyone is welcome. And everyone has a place in God's grand design. And as long as you remain committed to knowing how this works, to learning, to growing, to moving closer with God, working with an open heart and mind, and reconciling with others, then God's community can grow through you. And God's love will live in you and guide your steps day in and day out. So that's, I think, the good news I want to leave you with today, even as you wrestle with this difficult subject on your journey through the week. So I want to thank you for those of you who've listened again to the end of today's sermon. Um, it's, it's wonderful to have you listening in with us and being part of our community here on the podcast stream. But I also want to invite you to join with us in our real-time conversations. Our community uses what's called a Discord server because we're an online community. And this is a place where we go where we talk to each other via text, via phone app, via website, and just communicate every day, a little bit here and there, sharing our good news and our bad news and our topics for discussion I would love to invite you to be a part of that, no matter who you are, where you are, what you're doing with your life, even if you're part of another church community, we'd like to invite you to join us as well, to be a part of who and what we are as we're building this new and interesting thing. You can find the details for this Discord server up on our website, which I've put a link for in the description here. Uh, you can also find out about some of our upcoming events too. Uh, I do a regular video series on Thursdays called Psalms from the Trails, where I wander out onto a hiking path in the mountains around the Kobe area here and find a nice, beautiful spot to read through one of the Psalms. We're going to be on, I believe, Psalm 8 this week, so it's going to be a lot of fun. Those are posted to the Facebook channel, so you can check us out there if you're not already subscribed and following. Um, we also have on Saturdays our regular get-together where we those of us who are on the Discord server, we get together to talk about how life is going. And we do this through video chat, which is built into our server as well. And we see each other and we talk about what it means to be a Christian and how we can go forward in some of these weird and difficult times. Again, you are all welcome to come join us for that. And we'd love to have you to hear your voice and to hear how you're doing in life. Last but not least, I want you to know that whoever you are, wherever you are, whenever you are, 
that you are in my thoughts and you are in my heart, and I am praying for you this week as every week. And most importantly, no matter where you go, God goes with you as well. Take care.